0: Om. Om. Om, Sahana Vavattu, Sahana Upanattu, Sahaviryam Karavavahai, Tejasvinavati Kamastamavit Vishavahai, Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Any questions from anyone? Last couple of people are joining.
1: Uh, a
0: Just one second. I'm just going to change something on my screen. That's it. Great. Any questions for me now? So meditation, this is the last topic we're on now of this chapter, chapter 14. Everyone, make sure the mics are off, please. Bhatibhan, uh, I think your mic might be on. Thank you. This is the last uh, topic. Meditation. Meditation can only be performed when your mind is free from the bulk of your desires. Why is that? Why is it that you can only practice meditation when you're free of your desires? Anyone?
2: We have less agitations.
0: Less agitations. You can't meditate with agitations. The mind is free of agitations because the desires are reduced. They are no longer bothering you to fulfill them. Only when the mind is calm, the mind is prepared, only then you can practice the art of meditation. Only a human being can achieve this state. And it's every human being's entitlement that he achieves the state. The fact that you're a human being gives you that privilege. So if you don't try to attempt to do that, then you're wasting your life as a human being. So last week's class, we discussed that a human being has an intellect... And that one intellect, whenever you're thinking about worldly things, you're using the gross intellect. When you're thinking beyond the world, transcendental, about God, you're using the subtle intellect. This is quite important because when you're meditating, you you need the availability of your subtle intellect. The mind is a continuous flow of thoughts, like film in a projector. When the film runs out, there is no more picture. Similarly, when the thoughts run out, there's no world. When there's no thoughts in the mind, no thoughts, no world. What remains is the pure consciousness. You become one with the consciousness. See, this has no meaning to us at the moment. But by the end of the class today, you'll understand what that means. Being one with the consciousness said every night when you go into deep sleep there is no mind no thoughts no intellect therefore no world the process of meditation is keeping the mind focused on one thought with the exclusion of all other thoughts we discussed the mantra om and the significance of the mantra om is used to meditate, since it is the most powerful word symbol of Brahman. And we explained why, which we're not going to go through. You cannot reach this state with your material equipment. You can't reach this state of realization with the body, with the five senses. You can't touch, hear, smell, or taste Brahman brahman is not an emotion god is not an emotion that you can mind can feel brahman is not a thought in the intellect so god is unknown brahman is unknown to us so how do we conceive brahman how do we conceive god in worldly sense how do we conceive it we discussed last week anyone what makes us think of god And uh,
3: through idols and
1: pictures, uh,
0: bhajans, bhajans of God, murtis of God, temples, all that reminds us of something beyond this world, some universal power, the Creator, makes us think of that. What else? What else did we say that makes you think of the higher? What else makes you think of the higher? We said last week. Some people need murtis, rituals. Rituals. That's all part of that murti. What else did we say? Fire. Fire reminds us. Fire rituals. More subtle. Fire is more subtle. We can identify fire, you don't need murtis. You don't need temples. Idol is grosser because more of your senses contacted. Fire is less senses contacted. See with idols, you see, you can see it. You can touch it, you can feel it, you offer prasad to it. You offer um, food to the murti, which you then consume. So you now you're tasting it. It's an extension of the murti. You're now able to taste what you've offered as prasadan. So there's more senses contact with the murti. Fire, heat, and you can see it. And then we said the third, which is more subtle. Anyone? What did we say it is more subtle than fire? Sound. Only the ear can contact sound. And that's where Aum comes in. Om represents that sound. That sound that reminds you of Brahman, God, something higher. So the more subtle... Less senses contact. Makes it more subtle. Om. Any questions? That was what we discussed last week. Because we're going to continue from that point today. Is everyone clear? Shashi, clear? Nainabit? Okay. So, you've now... so has anyone as does anyone meditate or that has performed meditation in the past? Okay. Anybody else? Any form of meditation? So you'll have some idea, Vanita. Yeah, you'll have some idea of what we're talking about here. But we will only take you to what you've done, what you may have practiced may take you to a certain stage. We're going to talk about meditation that takes you to that ultimate state. The ultimate goal. How do you get to that ultimate goal? We're going to discuss in detail how you meditate, the art of meditation. So it's more procedural details. The practice itself. How do you sit? How do you chant? And this procedure has been described in the scriptures by sages who performed it and reached that goal. It's not made up. People who practiced it, reached that goal, they've come back and said, this is how you do it. It's described in the scriptures as the final gateway for a human being to reach that ultimate state. So this is what we're going to talk about today, the actual art. Now, unless you're going to perform it, it will just stay as something you you know about. When you actually come to um, practice it, then you will look into it more detailed. So this, today what we're gonna talk about actually needs to be demonstrated. You know, if we were in a classroom environment, then i will be demonstrating to you how to actually do it, how to sit, how to put your arms, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll have to um, just bear with me today. Ravi, first paragraph, please. Ravi, your mic is uh,
4: off. Oh, sorry. Procedural details. The process of meditation starts with the withdrawal of the mind from its preoccupation. With the affairs of the world, the meditator must then ensure that all external factors conductive for the plunge into the inner self. Before starting the practice of meditation, one must try and eliminate all that could possibly disturb the mind. The disturbances spring from the environment, physical body, from breathing, mind, intellect, and even the time chosen for the practice. These Impediments must be eliminated to create the best atmosphere for meditation.
0: So you've now followed exactly what has been said in this book. In this class every week, what we've discussed, you followed it. You practiced it. The result now is that the mind is now withdrawn from the world. You're disinterested. Not, have no interest in the world. You Understand, this is not the purpose of my life. So now the mind is withdrawn from the affairs of the world. You need to make sure around you, what's, everything around you is conducive for you to meditate. So you, go, you don't get disturbed. The body doesn't get disturbed, the mind, the intellect. So you have to eliminate these things. So you create the best atmosphere for you to meditate. You don't want any disruptions. Yeah, that's all it says. So you've now found a nice place to meditate. What now?
4: The first impediment is the external disturbances arising from the environment. Hence, you must choose a quiet, peaceful place for practicing meditation. If it is difficult to find a peaceful place, you may choose a peaceful time of the day. The early hours of the morning, the sattvic time, is distinctly silent and peaceful, even in an otherwise noisy environment.
0: Uh, you have to make sure the environment you choose to meditate is quiet environment, no noises. If this is difficult in your household, and choose a quiet time. Everyone's still sleeping. Less disturbance between four and six. People think you're waking up so early. What are you doing sitting there? It's time for me to have another couple of hours sleep. So you use that time while everyone makes use of that time to sleep to meditate. Don't know what person's listening to and open, wake up at four o'clock. people won't understand. So find a nice quiet time when everyone's sleeping to meditate, to study anything you want to do. mind is so easily disturbed, little noise and it's suddenly distracted. So you need to control that. and because we can't the environment we have to make sure, doesn't pick the mind anywhere. It's very finicky. It's, you know, we say monkey mind. Doesn't take a lot to uh, agitate it. So four to six, preferably. Not only is the environment quiet because everyone's still in bed, but it's sattvic time. It's when the mind, uh, intellect, is available to you. The mind is poised. It's quiet, calm. So that's why it's the ideal time. Any questions, just raise your hands, yeah, or just speak, or just um, just, um to speak, uh, uh, just unmute and speak.
4: Ready. The next preparatory step in meditation is to attend to the disturbance caused by the physical body. To avoid any such disturbance, you need to sit cross-legged, in the appropriate physical posture. Use a thin, flat cushion, not too soft or too hard. The recommended posture is to sit on the hands with legs folded to form a maximum base. Keep your vertebrae column erect with a slight forward bend at the pelvic region. (coughs) Excuse me. your arms resting in front with fingers interlaced. In this posture, the physical body remains in maximum equilibrium with its center of gravity falling at the center of the base. You may take time to get accustomed to the posture. If, however, you are unable to adjust your body to the posture due to some physical defect or other reason, You may sit on a chair or other comfortable position that suits you. Keep your eyes gently closed, looking nowhere in particular, as in sleep. Having positioned in the meditative posture, your limbs may still be stiff, your muscles tense. Then Then again could disturb your mental concentration, as they may relax on their own during meditation. To avoid this, you should release the tension in the muscles by mentally inspecting the parts of the body from head to foot. That would relieve all stiffness and relax the body.
0: They're saying now you've chosen a quiet time, everything's quiet, now how do you sit? Ideal position for one to meditate is to sit cross-legged, form a maximum base on a cushion. But you see, in order to do that, you need to be reasonably fit. That position keeps your body in balance. The center, the weight is even. If you're not fit, then you have to choose a chair, any comfortable posture, even a chair. But you see, when you choose, when you sit on a chair or, or, or some other device, it's not as conducive for meditating. That's why this is the best way, sitting on the floor cross-legged. Once in a suitable position, release all tension in the muscles by scanning the body from head to toe. So mentally, you just scan your body. Where there's aches and pains, you just concentrate on that, and it slowly dissipates. The pain is only registered in the mind. So you try and slowly get rid of it. It takes time to feel comfortable in that position. It takes time to get over that pain. That's why they perform yoga in the ashrams, all these different postures, so that they get you fit so you can sit in that position. Even in the ashram, every morning, we perform yoga for 30 minutes. Only then you can perform this posture. So you've got to be fit. You can sit there for half an hour, 45 minutes without any aches and pains. Next
4: paragraph. Needless to mention, the relaxation of the physical body will not be effective unless your body has been kept in perfect fitness prior to meditation. That will require regular physical exercises. Asana's practice of yog, yogic postures and pranayama, breath control.
0: Even control and postures to help you to be able to sit in a position. That is why yoga was invented originally for that purpose. So you're fit. And all ashrams you will go to, they, will, they have yoga in the morning. So now you've you're fit, you're sitting in this posture, breathing control. how do you breathe in meditation. that's the next topic we're going to discuss now. pranayama
4: pranayama tunes up your breathing proper controlled breathing is conductive to mental equal, sorry economy. When your breathing is properly regulated, it is easier to keep the mind peaceful. Conversely, when your breathing is hard, especially after a long run, it would be difficult for the mind to remain calm and composed. Pranayama is a simple technique of breathing practiced as follows. With the little and ring fingers of your right palm extended, And the other two folded. Press the thumb against your right nostril and inhale slowly through your left. When you have inhaled fully, close the left nostrils with the two smaller fingers. With both nostrils closed, hold your breath. After holding the breath for a while, keep the left nostril closed and inhale slowly through the right. After exhalation is complete, keep the air out with both nostrils open. These four steps form the first part of pranayama. Inhaling, holding the breath inside, exhaling and keeping the breath outside.
0: So Now, you're sitting in a perfect posture like Lord Buddha. Before you practice meditation, you must regulate your breathing. You do this by the practice of pranayama. Helps you tune and regulate the breathing. Relaxes the mind so it is calm. See, all these things you have to do to calm the mind. That's how powerful the mind is. Breathing in through one nostril, holding the breath, releasing it through the other nostril. Repeating this process for both nostrils for a number of times, will help regulate one's breathing. So the way they're showing it, in the way it's written here, is your your fingers are like this, the little finger and the ring finger and the thumb. You hold it one side of your nostril, you close it and you breathe in. Hold your breath. Release. Once again, hold one side. Hold. So that's one half of the breathing exercise. Then you do the same with the second half. With we'll your left hand. Fingers like that. Something you have to practice. Now, remember, this is purely an exercise for the lungs. It has no spiritual meaning. This is only so that your breathing is clear. Your breathing is calm. Your mind is calm. All this preparation before
4: you meditate. Ravi, next paragraph. For the second half of Pranayama, follow the same procedure in the reverse direction using your left palm. With the fingers of your left palm, arranged in a similar manner, press the left thumb against your left nostril and inhale through your right. After inhaling fully, close your right nostril with your two smaller fingers. With both nostrils closed, hold your breath. After holding the breath for a while, keep the right nostril closed and exhale slowly through the left. After exhalation is complete, keep the air out with both nostrils open. With this, the second half is complete. Thus, one round of pranayama consists of eight steps. Pranayama is merely an exercise for the lungs with no spiritual connotation. It is false logic to claim that control of breath can control the mind. The gross cannot control the subtle. The truth is just the opposite. Control your mind, your pranā, breath will be controlled.
0: So, Just to control the breathing. They're saying that the mind itself can cause disturbance while meditating. So therefore, this is one way of keeping the mind calm. Your breathing is clear, your breathing is calm. But... The breathing itself cannot control the mind. It's just to help aid, to keep the mind calm. Purely an exercise for the lungs. Any questions? As I said, this is just the procedural details. What I expect is, if you want to try and practice this, even for a few minutes, go through the book and just uh, try
4: it and see how you feel. Now reverting to the seat of meditation with effective relaxation of the muscles and a little pranayama, your body and prana breath are set for meditation. The next source of disturbance is the mind itself. Some thoughts may linger and disturb your mind. Let your intellect examine the mind and keep it vacant of thoughts. If, however, they enter the mind, gently dismiss them. When the mind is relatively free of thoughts, start the japa, the chant of the chosen mantra word symbol. Your mind does the chanting. Your intellect observes, witnesses the chant, and maintains the focus on the mantra to the exclusion of all other thoughts.
0: Well, the intellect must monitor now. So the mind is now calm. Keep it clear of any thoughts. If a thought arises, the intellect must dismiss it gently. When you're sitting there, thoughts will come. Let the intellect dismiss it. This is the time to meditate. I'm going to meditate. That thought that just came in is irrelevant. It has nothing to do with me meditating. Dismiss it any other thought comes dismiss it this is not the time for this thought i will deal with this later dismiss it the intellect can do that so the intellect must monitor the mind keep it clear of any thoughts now you start the japa the chant choose what chant what mantra you want to chant we use om 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 Aum, while you're chanting the mantra, the intellect observes the chant and then the silence that follows in between. That's the intellect's job. When the mind chants Aum, it observes. When there's a silence, it observes. See, it's opposites. Sound, silence, sound, silence. And that's what the intellect observes. It makes sure there is a single thought flow. Any thought comes in, the intellect gently dismisses it. See, this is why we need a powerful intellect. So that when we're we're sitting down to meditate, you can perform this task. If the intellect isn't powerful enough, you won't be able to perform this task. The thoughts will take over. Okay, so we're now chanting the mantra. Intellect is observing the sound and the silence, the sound and the
4: silence. okay. what next? The most conductive time for the practice of meditation is Brahma murta between 4 a.m and 6 am. If that be inconvenient, choose a time as close to it as possible or any other time suitable to you. Sit in the recommended meditative posture in the selected place. Repeat the mantra mentally without causing any movement of your limbs, throat, mouth, or tongue. During the chant, the mind would stray away from the mantra and your intellect may not be aware of the mind's discretion. For the intellect to effectively hold the mind's concentration on the mantra, you may use a japmala mala rosary for the chant.
0: We're now meditating. We are now focusing on the mantra. The intellect fo- um, observing the silence and the mantra, Or If you're finding it difficult to perform this, you can use an aid. The aid is a mara, a rosary bead. It has a little flower on the top and number of beads. It doesn't matter how many beads it has. How does a be- uh, Mara help you? Any idea?
4: It allows you to focus. You're focusing on something physical.
0: It allows you to focus. Help you to focus on the mantra. Keep the mind from digressing to other thoughts. Distracts the mind. Distracts the mind. The, design, the beads, the rosary beads, Mara, is designed in a particular way. And if you follow the proper procedure, use this Mara, you'll keep the mind focused on the chant. And that's what Mara is for. So how do we use this aid? Maybe next paragraph, please.
4: The technique of telling the beads with a rosary is common to most religions. The Jat Mala has beads strung together in a single cord with a little space between the beads to facilitate its movement. One of the beads is designed to protrude from the rest. The protruding bead is known as Meru. In meditation, you suspend the mala rosary from the ring and the little fingers held together. Hold the bead with the tips of the middle finger and thumb. Let your index finger stick out of the rest. With the mala-positioned fuss, rest your palm on the calf muscle on the same side of the body. The other palm on the other thigh. with each chant of the mantra, turn a bead with your middle finger in the clockwise direction, i.e. towards your body. Let the chanting synchronize with the rotation of the beads. Proceeding fast, you will reach the Meru. At that point, turn the Mara in the opposite direction, without disturbing your posture or opening your eyes and continue the chant with the rotation of the beads. The moment your mind wanders away from the chant, the rotation of the beads stop. You then feel a jerk. That alerts the intellect to put the mind back into meditation.
0: the uh, Mara in your hand. Every time you chant the mantra "Om," you you move one mara, one um, bead. So you do it in unison. Om, Om, om. When the mind dis- gets distracted, your finger will stop moving the bead. And when you when you when the when the finger stops mo- uh, moving the bead, there's a jerk. You understand that there's a you're no longer in unison. So it brings back the mind onto the mantra. Om, Om, Om. When you reach the end to the rosary, you turn the Mara over and you do it again. The other way around. Om, Om. So this is just an aid to help you to concentrate the mind. So many things they've given us to help us. Someone's gone and discovered this. Someone's practiced this, found out the way how to do this. And they've written it all down for us. So all we have to do is follow it. Made it so simple for us, Deepa. Just have to follow the instructions.
4: In the initial stage of meditation, you may choose to chant aloud. Even keep your eyes open. As you advance in the practice of meditation, you would feel more comfortable to chant mentally with eyes closed. You practice meditation every morning after adequately preparing the mind. Continue the chant until you bring it to a mental whispers. Allow the chant to die away in silence. The silence does not remain for long. Thoughts would prop up and disturb the silence. That indicates you have done enough for the day. Following this procedure daily, try to elongate the period of silence. You then dwell deeper into it. Ultimately, in the depth of that silence, the Supreme Self reveals itself.
0: Then initially, you can start meditating with eyes open and chanting loud, if you find it easier. As you practice more and more, you advance. Then you can chant mentally with the eyes closed. So when you're chanting louder, uh, or openly loud, it's a bit easier to concentrate. Eyes are open, easier to concentrate. When you close your eyes, the mind gets easily distracted. Practice regularly, every day if you can, even for a few minutes. Before you start chanting. So you start chanting and then slowly allow the chant to die away into silence. Once the chant becomes silent, the thoughts are disappeared. Sorry. If, the, if thoughts come into the mind and you can't control it, then you stop. You've had enough for the day. That could be five minutes, could be 10 minutes. And the more you practice, the further you'll be able to meditate for. So the idea is to extend that silence as long as you can. That will come from practice. So initially you will be... Om, 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 om. Slowly as you practice... Let there be a longer period of silence between the chant. Aum, Aum, Aum. Then longer. Aum, Aum. And as you carry on in that way, slowly, there will be no more chanting. There will only be silence. And that will take practice. And the deeper and deeper you go, the self reveals itself. In that silence, the self reveals itself to you. Now, we don't know what that means because we've not experienced it. But these sages are saying, this is what you need to do to reach that state. This is what you need to practice. This is how you need to practice. And then you will experience this state. Now we have to take their word for it. We have to practice it and we have to discover it for ourselves. The experience itself, they can't tell you. They can't explain to you. You can only experience it. Any questions? So this is the procedural details of how to meditate. As I said, you have to read it and practice it. The explanation I've given you is just very brief. Unless you practice it, only then you can experience it. So, if anybody has the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verse 53 is described in that verse this art of meditation. And I'm going to quickly just read the um, translation. Shruti vi pratipanate buddhi stada yoga mavapsyasi. When your intellect, perplexed by what has been heard, shall stand immovable and steady in meditation, then you will attain yoga, self realization. This verse depicts the drama of self-realization. It's drama, meaning you have to do all these things, do all this act, act in order to reach that state. When you transcend your mind and intellect, you are transfixed in the supreme self. You become self-realized. You are said to attain yoga. Remember, yoga means reuniting. Yoga here means the ultimate union with self. Becoming one with God. And then it explains everything we've gone through in this chapter. So that's verse 53, chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita. So this is where it comes from. Any questions?
1: Um I was just wondering...
3: Um, if you have a mala and you could demonstrate the way you turn it, because it's kind of different from what we're accustomed to. And the second thing is, why does it say that when you are doing the mala that you get to the um, what's the thing, the middle, and you turn the mala and go back again? You don't keep continuing forward.
0: So first of all, I think. Regarding Amara, I think it's better you try it yourself because it's quite self-explanatory, okay? So try it rather than me trying to explain it to you and demonstrate it. You try it, and if you have any problems, then you ask, yeah? Because, um, as I said, it's quite self And it's easier if you try it yourself. Secondly, when it reaches that mirror, you turn it over only because you're conscious of it then. Your mind isn't drifted anywhere. So the act of actually turning it over, you have to consciously do that. Otherwise, it's easy for the mind to drift away and get lost. So it's like a jerk to say, okay, it's time to turn it over. And your concentration level is back to normal again. Because it's so easy for the mind to go away. Does that make sense? But you practice it. That's the best way. And you'll see.
3: There was just that turning with the middle
0: finger, that kind of... um, I can't tell you why they've chosen that particular finger, but we can only go by the fact that it's a tried and tested way of doing it. So we have to have faith that they know best, and that's why they've explained to do it in that way. Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Do you want to demonstrate? No. So I'm going to demonstrate. So you tried because it's a procedural thing. Sittles bought me a but I'm not going to demonstrate it. I'm not.
5: <laughs>
0: you try it, then if you have any issues, you ask. Because it's a practice thing. Me showing you is not going to help you to, um, as much as you trying it yourself. And it's quite clear in here how to do it. Mm-hmm. Is that okay, Sushi? Yeah. Yeah. Try it. Any other questions? On meditation. So we reach the stage of self realization. And this is something where this, see, next chapter actually is entitled The State of Self Realization. What is this state when you reach there? See, even there, they're explaining to us what is this state when you reach that state? Whole chapter on this. What happens when you reach that state? Now, they can't write a whole chapter on this unless someone's experienced it. Self-realization, moksha, nirvana, enlightenment, human perfection. These are all different terminologies, meaning self-realization. In the silence of meditation, all your vasanas, thoughts, your desires are eradicated. Your mind and intellect are extinct. That is the sacred moment when your Supreme Self reveals itself by itself. You attain the ultimate state of self-realization the fourth state called Turiya. Turiya means fourth in Sanskrit. Beyond the waking, dream and deep sleep. A state wherein your individuality merges with the all-pervading reality. You become Brahman, God. Like the dreamer becomes the waker dreamer loses his personality in the higher experience of the waking state. Similarly, the waker loses his finite personality in the infinite experience of self-realization. An experience that is beyond the highest pleasure the body could ever sense. Beyond the greatest happiness the mind could ever feel. Beyond the subtlest knowledge the intellect could ever conceive. That is spiritual enlightenment. Can you even imagine that state? All your thoughts, desires, vasanas become extinct. This is the state of thoughtlessness, desirelessness. In this state, the self reveals itself. You reach the fourth state. So what are the other three states? It's saying fourth state. What are the other three states? What are the other three states we all go through?
4: Waker, sleeper, and deep sleep.
0: Deep sleep, dream state, waking state. Those are the three states. The fourth state is this state of self-realization. Just as you come out of the dream, you wake up. The whole dream personality, whoever you were in the dream, that whole experience dissolves. When you reach the higher state of the waking state, you, know, you, can, you can all identify with that. Whoever you are in the dream, whatever you are doing in the dream, the minute you wake up, that whole personality dissolves, and you're in now the waking state. This is a higher state. The same. Similarly, your whole personality of this waking state, meaning whoever you are right now, dissolves in the higher state of self-realization. You no longer identify with this, your individuality. It merges with the all-pervading reality. You become Brahman. You become God. And this is your true state, by the way. This is who we really are. But we don't know it. Okay. There's a reason for you to try and get to this state. Forget about, this is my prerogative. What, we, what are we all looking for in life? About what you're actually looking for in life? What we all looking for?
3: We are all looking for peace and
0: happiness. We're all looking for peace and happiness. So they're saying this state, you experience the highest level of pleasure the body can feel ultimate happiness and bliss that the mind can feel that's the one reason for doing it isn't it If, if that's what we're looking for in life the highest subtlest knowledge that the intellect can experience this is what you experience in spiritual enlightenment can you imagine this level of peace can anyone imagine this level of peace contentment Happiness? None of us can because we've never experienced it. Imagine the highest level of happiness you've ever experienced. Imagine the highest level of peace you've experienced. 100 times more than that gives you some idea. and you know what the the good thing about this is you can this reward this experience you can experience in this lifetime not when you die because you've done good things you'll experience something when you're in heaven or you can experience it now this reward is now in this lifetime when you reach this state last paragraph i'll read The state of self-realization confers absolute power, bliss, and knowledge. Yet the self-realized conducts himself as any other human being in the external world. Though inwardly he has become a sakshi, witness of the entire phenomena of life. Nothing in the world can either enhance or diminish his state of absolute fulfillment. Besides, his presence radiates peace and bliss to one and all so when you reach this state you continue to conduct yourself as a normal human being there's no difference no one will see any difference in you but you're like a witness to life you're like an actor on stage how you perform your obligations what does that mean what does that mean You're like a witness to life. Any idea,
1: Vanita? Would you say you're like watching a play where you're actually not performing? I don't know how to explain it properly, but you're witnessing something, but you're not actually physically doing it. Is that it's
0: halfway there? I don't know. Anybody else? Uh,
3: you're not affected. It's like you, if you're watching a play and there's emotions going on on the stage but you're not affected, you're only witnessing it.
0: How would you apply that in life? What would happen? What, how, give me an example.
3: If someone, you're watching
6: a play and uh, obviously it's quite emotional and it's quite a drastic scene but you just keep telling yourself... It's only a play. You're in a theatre. Some people start crying in an emotional Indian movie, for example, because they get engrossed. But in life, like when things are happening, quite that are, you know, obviously uh, that we're seeing, it just it's like an illusion almost, and you just, it's, it will pass. And it's just the way it's meant to be. Yeah, very good.
0: Dipa, you had something?
3: Oh yeah, I was just going to say that you don't let things affect you because you know it's all only temporary
0: um,
2: you do you do what you need to do without uh, worrying about the results or yeah. not being affected by the results
0: okay anybody else the state of self-realization when you reach that state act like a witness to life.
5: Gevolder. I was going to say, it's it's sort of like a bit like when we discussed renunciation, right? So you've now realized something that's of higher value. And so you, you're at that state. And so you don't find value in sort of the mundane things that you do in life. So it doesn't affect you what happens. You just do it because you know you have to do it because you need to work to earn money so you can buy food and pay your bills. But other than that, things don't really affect you and you find happiness in that higher value now.
0: Once you've experienced this highest happiness, everything is, doesn't mean a lot. You've experienced happiness 100 times more than what you've ever experienced. What is the value of that now? You've experienced that highest peace That highest bliss, nothing in the world interests you. That doesn't mean you don't act. You function normally, be a partner to your husband or wife, father to your mother, to your children, your obligations. You're not affected by anything. Anybody else has something to add what a state. What a state to reach that state. You become a source of peace and bliss to all. Nothing affects you. You understand all there is to understand about life. See, you have to think about these things. All there is to understand about life. All these little petty things, you know, that caused you agitations you laugh at it now your partner's in a bad mood internally you're smiling internally I said yes (laughs) you see the drama you understand it's drama inside you are that peace and happiness and the The good thing about this is once you reach that state, once you experience that state, nothing in the world can change that. You cannot go back the other way. You know the truths of life. You've experienced that truth. We're saying you're not this person, you're not this body, mind, intellect, you're Brahman, you're God. You've experienced that now. No one can take it away from you. Once you've experienced it, no one can take it away from you. So do you know what? This is just an introduction to the next chapter, the state of self-realization. We haven't even reached the subtle part of this book yet. It's just like an introduction to the next chapter. So you have to think about it. What is this state? It sounds wonderful. Let me see if I can get there. Let me put some effort in. And that's all it is, effort. Anyone can do it. If you apply yourself, anyone can do it. Only one stopping you is yourself. Any questions?
2: Not a question
3: as such, but just a, a statement, as in, you know, when you get to a state where you don't let a lot of things affect you, um, you. I'm I just thinking, like you know, like people think you know she's a walkover because she's not reacting to things. If you know what I'm trying to say, if
2: because that you're not letting
3: you. things affect you, you're not. Really you're not mm-hmm. reacting to things. People might think, oh, you know what? It's just a, nothing's affecting her. It's just, you know, all, she's just letting people walk all over her. You're not saying that. we are not saying people just, walk all over her."
0: It's
3: just a thought. Yeah, it's just a thought.
0: Don't let people walk over you because you've reached that state. You still have to be dynamic in what you do. You still behave in a way you need to behave, but internally nothing affects you. Yeah. If somebody needs a reaction from you, you, you react. But internally, you understand this is just an act I'm doing. It's not important. <laughs> your children needs. Your children are older, but your children need to be told off. You would tell them off because it's the right thing to do. They need that discipline. You have to be angry, you have to show anger. But inside, you're smiling all the time. What is this drama? You with me, Deepa?
3: So you still have to
0: act. Act her act, on stage. You are now on a stage, the world yeah. stage, and you're acting. You're playing the role of Deepa Ben. Wife, mother. Work colleagues, whatever. You still play that role,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you're not affected by anything. You know this is just my eye. This is just an illusion. This is just because you know why. It's you've seen that higher state. You reached that higher state. You know what it's really like. It's like the dream. When you you know when you wake up, but you can actually sort of halfway through, you can actually go back in the dream, you know, and take play whatever role you are playing. Being conscious of it, how would you behave in that state? Would anything affect you? You're in control. Do you understand? Does everyone understand? You know when you wake up from a dream, but you're in a position where you can actually, you're not half you're only half awake. You can actually go back in that dream. But this time you're conscious of that you're dreaming. You're conscious that you're dreaming. Huh, Deepa? You understand what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, that's true.
0: You're conscious that i am actually this person in the dream dreaming this and i can come out of it anytime that's what we're talking about so in this world you're acting in that way playing this role yeah Carol.
5: now i was just going to say um i think like from what uh the said is like i understand what she's saying but we still live in this world and we still have obligations, so we should still fight for what's right and what's good, right, in this world. Okay. So, so so, if someone is like walking over us or you see something that's not right, we should still stand up for the r- things that are right, right? Absolutely. Because we still we still partake in this material world, although we've reached self-realization, we still partake.
0: You have the- to play your role to the best of your ability, whatever that role is. but with an understanding that you're playing a role. That's the difference. Right now, you're taking the role seriously because you don't know anything else. You don't know it's a role. You think, this is, I have to do this. But once you reach that state, you're playing the role with that understanding that I'm playing a role. You have to think about it. Become a sakshi, a witness of the entire phenomena of life. Nothing in the world can either enhance or diminish the state of absolute fulfillment. His presence radiates peace and bliss to one and all. Deepa, imagine, you don't. nothing bothers you. Everyone's going to come to you, talk to you. They know you're calm, you're objective. You radiate peace and happiness to all. In that state, you know why you radiate peace and happiness. There's nothing. You, you know everything is just a stage. You're not affected, so you can pre- you can actually um, project that presence to other people, other people who don't know who who are affected. You can help them objectively. Because you know things they don't. Even with a bit of this knowledge, you can help people because you know things they don't. How to see things. They seeing things as, oh, glass is half full. You're seeing things as glass half, you know, they're seeing things as glass half empty. You're seeing things as glass half full. Different perspective. Manitra, you, you wanted to ask a question?
1: I suppose it's very difficult to describe that state of like you're saying like the enlightenment because you have to feel it right you can yeah once you've experienced it i don't think you'd be able to put it into words is that what you're saying like there's nothing that can describe that feeling
0: the person who hasn't experienced that you can only give them an idea see if we're saying it's 100 times more than any pleasure you've felt. How can you explain that to somebody? How can you explain that to uh, someone that it's 100 times more than the, what, what's, the high best, what's the highest pleasure you've um, experienced? And they say whatever they've experienced. I went to Vegas or I went deep sea diving or my child, when my child was born, that, that was the best time, of the highest experience I had of happiness. And then they're saying, imagine that 100 times. How can you explain that to someone? It can only be experienced.
1: So could you say in life, um, each experience would be like your, the experience of happiness gets better each time. Because like you said, like it might be just that the first time you went to Vegas and you were happy, then that experience was undermined. And then the first time you had your child, it was more better. And then as you grow in each stage, it gets higher and higher.
0: Not necessarily. It doesn't get higher and higher. You could go, you could experience negative emotions. See, but what they're saying is one, see, what, affa- what affects your peace and happiness in the, in this, in the lifetime? What, ex- what, what affects it, first of all? Why aren't you peace and ha- happiness and peaceful all the time? Which is our true state. Huh?
1: Your negative thoughts or your... your negative
0: thoughts. thoughts. Your involvement in the world. You're involved in the world. The world is made of pairs of opposites. Pain and happiness. Sorrow and happiness. Calm and agitations. This is the world. This is what the world is made of. And you're affected by all these things. Winter and summer, you're affected by winter. Or you're affected by summer, if you like, in winter. So we're affected by all these things. Now we have risen above that. So we're not affected by any of these things. So therefore, it relates to peace and happiness. When you don't have understanding, then you're affected. Why is it so cold? I woke up this morning, why is it so cold? Hang on, it's December. It's supposed to be cold. Why am I thinking it should be hot? It's my my own uh, negative perspective, isn't it? Of not not understanding that it's December. So then, I'm not agitated anymore. It's supposed to be cold in December. Person who doesn't understand is affected. So when you reach that state, nothing affects you, they're saying, because you have that understanding. See, we can talk about this all day. It's something that we have to uh, experience and no form of communication will portray that experience to you so the next chapter is actually says the state of self-realization how does this person behave how, what does he how does he experience the world his power is in intri- his intrinsic being so it will give you some idea. How the affect the world affects him or her. So so we we'll be able to talk about more further of this, but this is just something for you to think about. but uh Bhatibhan, you had some something to ask? Yeah.
4: I think Rav's been trying to want to say something. He's right in my
2: top
4: left corner. That's okay. No, no, it's all right. I I was just going to say, you know, when we were talking about acting and obviously self-realization person, how they connect with the world, but your actions are also going to be very different as well. When you act, when you react, when you, as you said, when you attract people around you and how you communicate, what others think is not going to make any difference to your peace of mind. What you act and what your obligations are, are going to be at that higher level as well. So, when you are working towards self-realization, you're making yourself a better person anyway, and your judgments are not led by emotions or external forces. You, you're you're more objective, aren't you? Effectively, yeah,
0: exactly. You, your outlook to life is completely different to what it is now. You've reached that perfection, that goal of. A human being. You realize everything else is meaningless. Everything we're chasing right now is meaningless. Once you reach that state. Just as, once you wake up from a dream, everything in that dream is meaningless to you. Has no value to you. Same thing. Deepabhintu.
3: Yeah. no i'll just say we're still on the
0: journey we because we haven't got there we still let things affect us absolutely but as you get further on the journey <laughs> less things affect you now. i can you not say, saydipabin that when you started this journey of gaining this knowledge you are now less affected by what happens in your life
3: yes
0: definitely so but less well, things affect you still, let's say a 10% less affectation, yes, for example, you have 90% to go. When you get to that stage, there's 0% effect. you're effect. affected. That's all it is, it's a scale. When you reach the goal, you're not affected by anything. Right now, 90% affect you, 10% doesn't affect you because of the knowledge you've gained. As you go further in the journey, that percentage will increase. Is that fair enough, Lipa? Yes. No point keeping fingers crossed. Just do more studying and uh, reflection and contemplation. (laughs) Then you can keep your fingers crossed while you're doing it. Then it's okay. (laughs) Any further questions, clarifications? Yeah, Sulevind.
2: This is uh, nothing to do with uh, what we're doing, but I know of a person who's experienced this and just didn't understand it, or maybe too young to understand it because we were running our rat race. Uh, She she radiates so much of positive uh, positivity and uh, vibrations and aura that any member of our family, when they are with her, they automatically feel so, so calm. And they always say, she's our favorite foil. Always, always, they just say, she's always smiling. She's never affected whatever activity. It could be a wedding, any occasion. It could be a wedding or a death, but she's still in that same state of frame and mind. And now that I'm doing this, I actually feel her vibrations. And a lot of the time, when she sends things to us, or she sends quotes, and uh, you know, explains things to us, you know, it just you just feel connected to her, and uh, she's and she lives a v- a true authentic life, you know. And it, it's uh, it's not easy. She's been through a hard journey. But I just wanted to share this with everybody that uh, I really appreciate her. In our family now.
0: Before you may have not connected to that person because they're a different wavelength, see, but as you get understand more, then you're able to identify the qualities. As you learn those qualities, you're able to identify those qualities with that a particular person and you then understand why they are the way they are. See? But because yes. you don't understand yes. the qualities, we don't know. Some people might think that person's strange. You know, because they're have they they're living at a different level, a level we don't understand. And that's the difference. That's yeah. why.
2: My my children always said, oh, my!" they just said, oh, this boy is, uh, she, you know, although we don't see her much, but um, when they're with her, they just felt, oh, we're just in love with her. Like, you know, they always talk about her. And that's a very, very good feeling. Very good.
0: Something to, to, yeah. to, take- to the group. You need a mic, otherwise they can't hear you. Thank you.
6: I just wanted to add something to what Dipa said. I think Dipa, the difference is, is that we're still going to be affected, but it's the time of how long we're being affected for. So, for example, you know, if you if you've had a a terrible day. That day, that experience might have caused you agitation for you know so many hours before or so many days before. If somebody said something that you felt was hurtful, you'd be affected for longer. So now with this knowledge you you kind of after a a few hours you get an understanding do you know what that person's just the way that they are and I need to just carry on. So the time of being affected has probably reduced. And you must agree with me there.
0: She
1: does. So
6: it's not that it's not that we're not affected, <laughs> but it's how long we're affected for. That's changed.
0: So and you know what if you study every morning, the 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 affectation won't last longer than that next morning. No matter what happened that day.
6: Am I right,
0: <laughs> So she, the, is. She right? She's asking you. The length uh, of yes, the she,
3: so you are. You are right. Yeah. What could have affected for hours on end would probably be realised and uh, brushed away very quickly. Thank you. Thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before we sign off, any. Uh, well, we've got the whole chapter to look forward to, the state of self-realization. So we can uh, study it further. And then maybe that will give people some confidence to strive towards it. And even striving towards it results in peace and happiness, even if you don't get there. So forget get 100 times, maybe twice as ha- much more happiness than you've ever experienced. Even that is a lot. Yeah, Sashikha? So Any further clarifications, questions, before we sign off for today? Okay, thank you everyone for joining us, sharing your thoughts. It helps everybody else as well.
2: Thank you.